0: Man, what a bless, blessing Milligan and Philip always are to us. What a blessing to have young people playing and singing and serving the Lord. A uh, lot of negative, and I always want to take time to just lift up those who are doing it right. You know, we hear young people doing this and doing that, but we see them serving God and worshiping today and I thank the Lord for that and our leaders here at Eastside. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Last few weeks we broke down chapters 2 and the first six verses of chapter 3. And the, the text that we preached over the last weeks entitled, When Critics Attack, Ended in verse 6 when it said, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They were after him. They were after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the beginning. They did not like him upsetting their apple cart. They did not like him being a threat to their power base. They were. He was absolutely trashing their idea of religiosity and the weight of legalism that the Pharisees had brought upon all of Israel. Jesus had come to give men life and to give it to them abundantly, to set them free in truth, being the only way. And so we pick up, having just left that, This whole idea of them coming after Him. You know, they had despised Him for healing. They had despised Him uh, for uh, telling someone that their sins were forgiven. They despised Him for picking corn on the Sabbath. Anything they could try to trump up against Jesus. They were trying it. Their dead level best. I mean, all bets were off. They were going to do whatever they could to try to turn the masses against him to retain some semblance of the comfort they were experiencing in the flesh. Does that sound familiar today? Truth, truth, the very essence of truth, not your truth, not my truth, not her truth, but objective truth. Truth, which is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the only truth. There's not two truths. There's one truth. And Jesus' truth was a threat to what they were trying to pretend to be. And yet, he didn't quit. It was only the beginning of his earthly ministry as he continued going in and out to present to them who He was as the Son of God and the Son of Man, leaving heaven above, coming to earth below, born of a virgin, to live without sin and to do the Father's will, which was to go to the cross to carry the sins of the world, to die, to die as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and hallelujah, through resurrection, seal the fate of all who would believe. Amen? That's what we just sang about. That's why we're able to say, how great thou art. To say, Jesus, I need you and you alone. And yet notice today, as we look into this text, starting in verse 7. In 1917, the United States of America started the Selective Service. The Selective Service. And if you are a male, 18 or above, you know what I'm talking about. Now these days, it's so far removed that young young men who are 18, 19, 20, they, they kind of take it kind of lightly. It's almost like Registering for, to vote, it's more important to know how you know, to log on to Wi-Fi than selective service. I can remember my dad coming to me and saying, Son, you're turning 18, you've got to go to the post office. And you've got to register immediately. And my dad expressed it so much to me, I was, I was afraid that the FBI would come snatch me out of bed and put me in Leavenworth Prison if I did not immediately on my birthday go to the post office and fill out my selective service card. Now, Many of you have no earthly idea what I'm talking about. In 1917, in the throes of the Great War, the war to end all wars, World War I, They began what is called the selective service in that every male, 18 and above, had to sign up. And when you signed up, you were entered into what is known as the draft. And they would get together and they would pull numbers. I've seen the video, uh, the film back then of the draft being reenacted during World War II or during, during Vietnam. And that first card that was pulled, and you had a number, and if that's where we come up with a whole idea, if your number come up. Now think about this. You, after the war had begun in the midst of World War I, in the midst of World War II, in the midst of Vietnam, and you turned 18 in the middle of the conflict. Let's just say you turned 18 in 1968. After the Great Tet Offensive, And thousands of Americans were slain all over the jungles of Vietnam. And you had to go register knowing your number could come up. And you would have to immediately go into the military. And if you didn't, there was a penalty of law. But real Americans, listen to me, real Americans did it. They didn't run to Canada. They didn't change their name. And to this day, people call him the greatest. Listen, Real Americans didn't dodge it. They didn't just worry about playing sports. They went and served their country knowing they could give their life because fighting was happening there. Now I want to tell you something. Jesus came to this earth not wondering at the possibility that he might die. He knew he was. He knew when he left his father's side he came for one purpose, and that was to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was there was no other sacrifice. Jesus even prayed uh, there in the flesh, not the sinful flesh, but 100% man. He said, oh, my Father, if there be any possible way to take this cup. But if not, I must go. And he did, didn't he? Think about that prayer in the garden. Now back it up, roughly two and a half years, and you see Jesus expressing it by His actions in this selective service. Not only His selection to be the sacrifice, but His selection of others to serve. You remember, Mark teaches through 16 chapters that Jesus is the servant of God. You know, we we call ourselves, if you're born again, and it's true, we're the children of God. You know, it's not to stretch when he tells us we're heirs and joint heirs, that we're brothers in Christ. That's why we say, you know, as one body, hello, brother so-and-so, hello, sister so-and-so. That is not some stretch. That's not some kooky thing. We are the family of God. But more than anything, we need to consider we're the servant of God. We're a servant. We think of servants as being this lowly, dejected. Well, yes, we're in surrender. That's what somebody does when they enter into the military. That's why they so-called our, our national treasure, Uncle Sam. Because Uncle Sam owned the GI. They were government issued. They were a serial number. That's what you are in the military for a long time. They they train you. They they teach you. You belong to us so that they can train you to be the fighting force God's called you to be. Listen, the sooner we surrender ourselves and realize we are not our own, we have been bought with a prize, the better off we'll be. Look in verse 7. Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. He had already begun calling those disciples. And when he did this, a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Edomia, and from beyond Jordan. And they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a Small ships should wait on him because of the multitudes, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him. As many as had plagues and unclean spirits, when they saw him, they fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Listen, in this selective service, we need to understand we're motivated out of a love and there will be others who do love us as we serve God. Jesus understood that, but there'll be many of us who, many that will hate us because of the cause of Christ. They hated Jesus, did they not? Y'all read the New Testament? You know, they killed him, right? They killed Jesus. They crucified him. They nailed him to a rugged cross. Why? Why are we so convinced that if we live close enough to God, everybody's going to like us? Now we shouldn't take pride. Oh, bless God! They don't like me, and they... Listen, we are to exemplify, and we will see that later. We need to love others as Christ loved us. But we also need to get over ourselves and realize if we stand for Christ and we are the picture of Christ, the world's not going to like us. You only need to look at the news to see the vitriol of this world. Listen, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. The Herodians, they couldn't stand him. But look at the regular, everyday people. People need help. It said right here, they came from all over in a great multitude when they had heard what great things he did. Do you know what our job is? Tell people what Jesus did for us. Because people need help. Do you ever need help? Do you ever need help? I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. In a lot of things. Some of you are are, are so readily available to encourage. Even when I don't even know I need help, you help. Just uplifting words, encouraging texts, things like that. And I see it all through this body. I want to tell you today, this is the most blessed moment. I'm not exaggerating. I am not just simply throwing out fluff. I'm here to tell you this is the most blessed place I've ever been in ministry in 30-something years. You heard my wife right there. That amen. This is the most loving, compassionate, Christ-centered place I've ever been a part of. But yet we still falter at times, all of us, because sometimes we get so inwardly focused, we forget out there in the enemies of the world, the, the, the trailer parks and the housing projects and the rich neighborhoods where it looks like they don't absolutely need anything and the other ones don't look like it's safe to go in there and tell them anything. People need help. And it's not just clothes and it's not just something to eat. Listen, God charged us to help in the social issues, but number one, we're to give people the bread of life. Or we're just another social civic organization. Church, give them Jesus. Do we believe that we can fix people's problems or Jesus can? If we believe Jesus can do all things and that He is the Savior of the world, then we must believe He's also the feeder of the world. He's the clothier of the world. When we give people Jesus, now we're to be the hands and feet. But social ministry should never get in the way of the gospel. It should be part and parcel of it. But it should never supersede the fact that people need help. Are we seeing it around us? People want hope. People want hope. Listen to me. Whatever side you came down on this past 32 days, and especially over the last eight days, nine days in American politics, no matter what side you come down on, both sides are doing whatever they're doing because they want hope. They want hope that their way will stay their way, or they're wanting hope that things will change and that... God will do a great work and millions of unprotected, God-loving lives will be saved. I told y'all three years ago what the election for the last president was going to stand on and why it would matter. And it has came true. Church, do you realize, and I woke up this morning thinking, you know what, I ought to be happier than I am. Why am I still reserved from giving God the glory and victory? Now I'm not saying Trump is the best Christian or even Kavanaugh is, but I'm here to tell you, God can do great things to very weak men. How did God feed and save and protect Israel in the midst of a great famine? Through allowing one the the chosen sons grandson the son of israel to be mistreated by his brothers sold into slavery falsely accused of rape spent time in prison to rise to be number 2 in the nation and feed his family and his whole peoples for hundreds of years am i is that isn't it, that's in your old testament right you sit here today and you say, I oh, don't, the people are falsely accused, it's going to happen. They falsely accused Jesus. They falsely accused Joseph. I'm not saying anything about what went on this week. I'm just simply telling you everybody wants hope. Everybody. We've just got to get people's eyes off. It's not the Supreme Court that's going to give us hope. It's not going to be the president that ultimately gives real, tangible, life changing, eternal hope. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It, it, it That has got to be the default in everything. I joked around with some of our musicians up here today, and we we're like, everybody ought to be happy today. Everybody won yesterday. Unless you're an Auburn fan. Or LSU, and I wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, Georgia Georgia Tech scored more points than anybody this weekend. And don't tell me because they were playing, you know, some... Middle school team. I mean, that team had a Heisman Trophy winner two years ago. Georgia Tech fans take what we can get, okay? Just cut me some slack. Claxton won. Georgia Southern won. I mean, and I got to see two of the three. Who? Oh, yeah, that that team up there in Athens won. I mean, you know, really, but is our hope and our happiness, now I get, I get up and down with the rest. I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir. We ought to be rejoicing in the victory that is Christ. And when people see our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that we don't become so moody if our team does win, when we thought, man, now we got a shot. I don't know. I've heard about teams that have shots at winning it all. I, I don't really know that much about it, but I've heard it's exciting. Um, I'm being self-deprecating. My team won one since y'all's has. So anyway, people won't hope. People won't hope. What hope? Do people see in you? Is it the hope that we're going to make more money? Is it the hope that somehow we're going to have the prettiest church or the best cars? What is our hope? The world came to Jesus because they saw his miracles. They saw what he did when those friends lowered them down into the house. They saw him raise people on the Sabbath. They knew. They came. Listen, people need help. They want hope and they desire healing. People need it. People want it. And the only way is Jesus, church. We have got to get back to the basics of putting out before everything else, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You all know how to kill a church? Turn inwardly focused and forget about everything outside. Worry about you. Worry about whether the songs please you. Worry about whether the preacher preaches too long to you. Worry about whether your kids are being ministered to and it's just about them. And don't worry about the kids out there who have never even heard someone say, I love you. Do not worry. Do not worry about the couples who are trying to live a life divorced from God and realizing that they'll end up divorced in this life. Don't worry about them. Just worry about what we're going to have for supper at our next fellowship meal. Worry about whether our senior adults are being treated right. Worry about those things. And I can assure you, we will die a good, slow death because it's happening across the land. But some people are finally waking up and saying, you know, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about the sovereign servant that in in everything, there is hope when Jesus is present. People need help. Who is it? Just think for just a minute. Who is it in your realm of influence that needs help right now? I don't know what that help could be. Maybe they need a word of encouragement. Maybe they need a $20 bill. Maybe they need a, gas, a tank of gas. Maybe they need their rent paid for I don't know, but you do. You have your realm of influence. It's not my job to tell everybody. It's my job to tell everybody in my realm of influence, and I can't pawn that off on you. But your realm of influence is on you. Show people the hope that you have in Christ. Because if in this world we have hope in Christ, only we're of all men most miserable. You ever seen a Christian miserable? It's an oxymoron, isn't it? How how can a believer be miserable? But yet we do. How? Because we lose sight of the hope that is within us. The blessed hope. You know what the blessed hope is? The last verse of how great thou art. When what happens? When who does what? When Christ shall come with a shout of acclamation. Church, I don't know if we've forgotten or we've just been lulled into this semi-comatose state, but I've got news for you. He's coming back. And Titus says he, that is our blessed hope. The appearing of our great God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, Maranatha, if somebody's down, say, hey, this is not all there is. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus back. Our Lord is coming back. People desire healing. Let us turn, to, turn the world to it. I want you to notice something real quickly in this text. In verse 11. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Now, every commentator I've read, this is not a profession of faith. Everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is not going to heaven. Didn't Jesus say that? This context, from all the commentators I've read, where these these unclean spirits were literally demons who cried out in the face of Jesus because they didn't want anything, but they acknowledged who he was. And they knew he was a threat and would make them uncomfortable and they couldn't do anything about it. And so they cried out and said, Thou art the Son of God. They knew something the Pharisees didn't. Even the demons believe in Jesus. And yet the world stands in opposition says, not only do we have the agnostic crowd that would say, we can't know whether there's a God. Now we have such an arrogant, gnostic agnosticism that it is real-based atheism which says, you must believe there is no God. You see the difference? Agnosticism says, hey, I'm human. It's just, you know, we're just this little blob passing through time, and we can't know if there's a higher power or this God you claim. We can't know if he exists or not. But an atheist says, I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than that. I've done the study. The science proves it. You must believe there is no God. But then there is the Christian Who says, for by grace am I saved through faith and not of myself. It is a gift of God. There is a God. And there is a heaven to gain. Amen? And there is a hell to shun. People need to understand what even the demons acknowledge. And that is, Jesus is the Son of God. But then notice, not only is everyone looking for something... But that Jesus is calling. As I told you before, when I turned 18, Daddy told me Uncle Sam would be calling. And that if you didn't call him first, he would definitely call you and it wouldn't be a pleasant call. Jesus is calling today. Now, I want us to camp out for here on this for just a moment. He says in verse 13, And he went into a mountain and called unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. He called unto him whom he would. It was up to Jesus who he called. Now I want you to understand something about this. When Jesus calls, it's not on our time. I have heard countless people say, well, I'm just not ready. I got news for you, Ready or not, here he comes. When Jesus does split the sky, he's not going to check with you first to see if you're ready, okay? When God the Father looks to his right hand at the Son and says, go get my, ch- my children, go get your bride, there will be no pause. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, it will happen. There'll be no time for recourse. There will be no purgatory. There'll be no stopping on the seventh or the ninth floor. You will not get to the second heaven and get another opportunity. You better make it count today if Jesus is calling you. And those that He calls the Spirit draws. The whole triune God in effect. It's not on our time. Say, well, when I get older, when I get this, and when I... Uh, I I, I haven't got to live my college years yet, and I want to sow some wild seed. I'm going to tell you something. Be careful what field you plant in because you will sometime. It may be now. It may be in 50 years, but you will reap from the fields you sowed in. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had to go back through some fields I wished I'd have never dropped the seed in. It's not on our time. Mamas and daddies, whatever you do, whatever you do, do not use your children as a crutch not to heed the call of God. If God is calling you to serve, God will make a way. God will make a way. So I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say that I said. The truth is Jesus is calling you. And when Jesus is calling you, your only answer If you're going to claim that Jesus is your Lord, the only answer you can have is yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, to bringing my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, Lord, to having them part of a body that will encourage them, love on them, and help them grow to be everything God wants them to be. Yes, Lord, to having them sit under the preached gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say something. I don't want to upset anybody's feelings. But I got news for you. 200 years ago through the first, the second, and possibly the third Great Awakenings, we didn't have 17 hours of babysitting videos and VeggieTales at church. We had the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was it. And it is still the preaching of the gospel. That is the power unto salvation. It is Jesus proclaimed. And you say, well, that can happen in many ways. Yes, it can. And I'm not knocking it. Hey, God is definitely bigger than the boogeyman. I love that stuff. But it cannot become a substitute to hearing mom and daddy pray. You cannot become a substitute to sitting and listening to what's God. Listen, it's not about our time, and it's sure not according to our preferences. Well, I want, I want to come to church, so I want to love God, but I need to do it between this hour and this hour, and I need to do it this way. And don't ask me to do anything, and I'm past the time of keeping the nursery, and I don't want anything to do with this, and I'm not going to sing anymore. And I'm not going to, Listen, it's not up to your preferences. I got preferences. I got preferences. God says, I don't care. I don't care what you like. I don't know about you. I like blue plate mayonnaise. My wife buys Duke's. You know what? Duke's is all right. It's not a battlefield I'm going to die on. Blue plate's still better. But it's just not a battlefield I'm going to die on. Sunbeam is still the best white bread there is. It's my preference. I don't care about your preference. Your preference is not my preference. It's my preference. You can't tell me my preference, right? Right? It's my preference. I like a bow tie. And I'm not talking about it on a suit. I'm talking about on the front grill of my vehicles. I want a Chevrolet. My daddy raised me... All he drove was Fords. You know what? Best truck I ever drove was a Ford. Bought it because it was the only thing I could afford. Because I knew the general manager, I couldn't afford to buy anything else. But I'm still going to drive Chevrolet because that's my preference. Edward will grow up and figure out one day, praying he'll get right with God and buy one. But it's my preference. But God said, I don't care. I don't care that you like Chevrolets better than Ford. I don't care that you like Blue Plate or Sunbeam or Welch's Grape Jelly or your mama's homemade. I don't care. I don't care that you like hymns over the newer songs. I don't care. What I care about is that I'm first above everything else and then everything else will work out. That hit all of us, didn't it? Because it's solely his privilege. It's not ours. It's his privilege, how he's going to do it. His call, his anointing. Look look at it. He said in verse 14 and 15, and he ordained 12. And he had already called them to be disciples, right? Now he's ordaining them. He's anointing them to be apostles. That's very important. I'm not going to get in depth of it. But when you look, When you look throughout the Gospels and then you get into places like Romans and Ephesians that give spiritual giftedness, there are a couple of gifts, what we call sign gifts, that we believe as Baptists were apostolic gifts that were given just to apostles. And that when the apostles died, so did those specific gifts. I'm not even going to go into them right now. But we need to understand there's a reason why he called them disciples, then apostles. Because God's anointing was on them that would not be on anyone else for all time. Just those apostles. Now, wasn't that, that's pretty prestigious, isn't it? Huh? Any of you ever met a president of the United States? Raise your hand if you've ever met, shook the hands of a president. About six or eight of us. It's a pretty cool deal. I've been mocking my best friend because. He had a meeting a uh, week before last with Jimmy Carter. And he's fixing to go preach. He's been asked to come down there and preach. I said, you're going down there? He said, yeah. He said, it's like, it's like a cult asking me to come preach the gospel there. I'd go preach it. There ain't much difference in that place in a cult. And so I said, do me a favor. And he said, what? I said, when you meet President Carter, will you do me one favor? He said, yeah. I said, tell him thank you. He said, okay, for what? I said, for 21% interest and putting us out of business. I said, just remind him, let him know. He laughed, he said, yeah, I ain't gonna tell him that. It's pretty prestigious to meet a president. I mean, it really is. It's pretty prestigious to be in certain, certain circles. But there is a a level beyond all that to be in that apostolic circle. You'll know how prestigious it was? We we only know of one that possibly was not killed for the cause of Christ except for one who took his own life. The rest of them lost their life. That's how prestigious it was. They hung them, cut them in half, they crucified them, you name it. If they could do something really cruel to get at Jesus, that's what they did. That's how prestigious it really was. Listen, his call, he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. He didn't call them just to be his groupies and to be his yes men and to wait on him. He said, I didn't call you to wait on me. I called you that I may wait on you that you may go wait on them. I'm going to wash your feet, you go wash theirs. And he gave them the giftedness and they went about doing what Jesus had done in their life because he ordained them and he sent them and he empowered them. You see, he calls us as his disciples, number one, to experience him. Experience Him. He said, He ordained them that they should be with Him. Church, if you're going to claim the name of Jesus Christ, then you ought to be experiencing Jesus. I couldn't help but use this as a point, Philip, because I, it's so rich. You have no earthly idea. We started off, I'll never forget what Philip said. First, first night of experiencing God, we had about 60 people in here, 70 people. He said, yeah, yeah, it'll drop off. And he said, wasn't saying it negative. Say the truth, and I'm like, I know, but why'd you even have to say it? But here's the deal. I know, we know that. If you're missing Sunday night, I'm going to tell you something. It's not about just going through a book and watching some videos. The depth, the richness of encouraging one another to experience him. The testimonies that we've heard of lives that have been so richly changed. I was still, the other day I was sitting in the road, and a tractor-trailer went by with a full load of shingles on the back of it. And you know, used to I'd think, oh, I'm glad I'm not where it's going. Well, that's, that's, that's real work. Yeah, there ain't no easy part in any way of shingles. Loading them, unloading them, tearing them off, putting them. There's nothing easy about shingles. But we heard a testimony about how a guy was, God was calling him anointing him for a ministry and he needed some for one house and some guy said hey we got 600 uh, square well if you've never been in construction squares 100 square foot it's two and a half pieces of plywood that's what a square is three bundles of shingles 600 square would do about probably five to eight of these buildings that's how big that mean I mean he was tractor trailer load and when he saw it he said oh you've got to be kidding And at first he was, overwhelmed. what are we going to do? And then he realized, hey, God is equipping us for the work ahead. And he relaxed and experienced Jesus' work in his life. What, if someone asked you this week, if tonight you came, and Philip says, you know what, we're going to set aside the lesson for just a moment for a word of encouragement and testimony, and every single one of us is going to stand up on our own and tell how we experienced God this week what would your answer be? Did you experience God in anything this week? It's not always in the big stuff, is it? Philip and I have talked about this, and I've talked with other people. It's not always in the thunderings. It's not always in the lightning and the big storms. You know where we experience God the most? In the still, small voice. In the quietness of the night. In the throes of the storm. Jesus speaks peace. Experience him. Express him. He said, go. I've called you to be around me that I may send you. And then to exemplify him. They were given gifts that only Christ could do. But it wasn't a gift. He's God. He can do it. But he took those gifts. Those super, listen, it's not a gift. It's just an ability if you can do it of yourself. But when you say, I can't get up in front of people and God says, do it, and you do it, then hey, God gets all the glory because it's supernatural. As Joey and I continue working, preparing and asking, and we're going to be asking every single person at Eastside to be a part of it. Every single person. For the night to shine, you would not believe I mean, it would take four hours to tell you what God's already doing. I mean, not even making phone calls, people calling us said, "Hey, heard you're going to have this. We want to help. We want to give this. We want to donate this. It's unbelievable, except for it is believable because it's about Jesus. We must exemplify it, and then in closing, how will we respond? How will we respond? said, the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as even eat bread. When his friends heard of it, look what he said. They went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he's beside himself. They thought he just ate too much pizza the night before. They said, what's wrong with him? He's never done nothing like that. It literally means they thought he'd gone crazy. He was beside himself. His friends were doubting him. Those people who were close to him, who loved him and appreciated him, now are doubting him. Are you a doubting friend? Or you said, oh, I believe Jesus did that for me 20 years ago. Jesus saved me seven years ago. But I don't believe God is empowering me to stand in front of the world and say, I'm saved, I need to be baptized in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of the newness that is Christ. Oh no, I can't get up and do that, I don't. Are you doubting? Are you a doubting friend? Are you a deceptive foe? You know what they did? They tried to draw attention away from the power of God in his life, and they said, oh, you're doing it through Satan. This has always killed me. It's just, y'all got pet peeves. Does any of y'all have pet peeves or is it just me? One of my pet peeves, and this is really silly, but being a sports fan living in Alabama for six and a half years on the mission field before we came back to the promised land, I would see car tags, truck tags, front of the tag, and it would have a line through it. And on one side of the tag, it would have the Alabama A, and on the other side of the tag, it would have the Auburn A. And you know what it said underneath it? house divided. That's what it said. And this is why it's my pet peeve. I said read the last part of the verse. If you're going to read part of it, read all of it. If you're going to quote part of the Bible, quote all of it. What's the last part of the verse say? A house divided what? Cannot stand. It cannot stand. A house divided will fall. I said Isn't that redundant? And what they're saying is, hey, mama likes Auburn, daddy likes Alabama, or vice versa. That's just about football, I know. But we need to understand, we become deceptive when we say we love Jesus, but we show the world we love it. And I'm not talking about loving lost people, I'm talking about loving the things of the world. Have we become a deceptive foe to where we're now calling evil good and good evil? We've seen that all throughout society the last few weeks. Deceptive foes. But then notice at the end of the chapter, there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing outside, sent unto him and called him. <laughs> I'm just having flashbacks right here. You know what happened? He embarrassed him. He embarrassed him, and I can see him. And, and no, his family were not believers, except for Mary, probably at this time. The rest of his brothers, stuff. His family says, "Jesus, I can, man, I can hear Jude right now." Jude, look over at Jesus. You don't get over here. I'm gonna beat your brain. Get over here. And Mary's like, oh. she's worried about her brothers, or her sons fighting and. And Jesus embarrassed himself. She didn't want him to be embarrassed. And so they sent and called him. And the multitude sat about him. And they said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren are outside and they seek you. And he answered and he said, Who's my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Listen, following Jesus doesn't always make sense, does it? To loo- uh, losing means winning. You give to gain. You surrender to conquer. You become weak so that Him, Jesus, through you, you may become strong. You get down to get up. Jesus said, my ways are not your ways. It doesn't make good logical sense, but it's truth nonetheless. Spurgeon said, it's not the strength of your faith that serves you, but the strength of him upon whom you rely. As they come to the instruments. There is a selective service, and there was only one to do what the Father had called for. And his name was Jesus. And Jesus came and said he called who he will. Is Jesus calling you today? Is Jesus calling you to be with him? To experience his power and resurrection through the new birth that is Jesus? Is he calling you to faithfulness? To tell the world, I have been saved. And I want to be baptized so that I'm in honor of His his command to repent and be baptized. And I want to come join, whether it's through baptism, through letter from another church, this is where God wants you to be. You want to set an example and exemplify Christ before the world and your children, and God's telling you, come to the altar and pray. Just come as an act of faithfulness. Whatever God has selected you to do, will you serve Him? Will you serve Him with gladness? The world, I'm going to tell you, the world's not going to like you. You're going to lose friends. There will be family who will doubt. But I can promise you one thing. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Will you come to Jesus today? They came from all over because they believed in what he was doing. Will you come to Jesus today? Stand and come. Come to him who can give you hope, provide healing, and the help we so desperately need, come.